Well, good morning, and uh, a special welcome to those who are joining us online this morning. So um, today we, we lit the Advent candle of joy, and uh, that's based on the uh, uh, Luke chapter 2, which tells us the story of, of Jesus' birth in, in Bethlehem, and uh, how after his birth the, uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds who were watching over their sheep by night and, and made this declaration. They said, um, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So why was Jesus' birth such an occasion of joy? I mean, we, we're used to it ourselves. We, we sing these uh, wonderful... And by the way, I'm really enjoying uh, singing the Christmas carols all the way through December before we get to actual Christmas. That's so great. But, um, you know, we can be so used to the fact of, of singing these songs about joy. Uh, we can miss the, 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 the importance or the impact of it in the first century on that first uh, Christmas day. What did it mean to the Jewish people of the time that the Messiah was born? What did it mean to the shepherds? And it was quite significant, actually. Israel, as a nation, had been waiting a long time for the promised Messiah. Israel, in a sense, was, was in a state of um, apartness from God due to uh, rebellion and sin as a nation several hundred years before. Uh, they were, in a sense, in, in a state of, of exile from God. Things had not gone well, and they were still not there yet. Uh, because of the um, rebellion that they had and, and the exile they experienced before, uh, there was no presence in the temple. In the last few um, prophet books in the Old Testament, the, the prophets were lamenting the fact that even though the temple had been rebuilt, the, um, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, had not yet returned to the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the prophets said, when the Messiah comes, the presence of God will once again dwell with his people. There is a need of personal and national forgiveness for the people of Israel and the prophet said, when the Messiah comes, he will bear our sins and we will be forgiven. Israel was oppressed by their enemies. They were under political uh, oppression. And uh, the prophet said, when the Messiah comes, there will be freedom from oppression. They were, in a sense, in a, in a state of existential exile from God. And the prophet said, when the Messiah returns, we will, be, we will return and be reconnected to God and to God's plan for Israel. And so all these things were wrapped up in that word Messiah. And that's why there is such joy among uh, the shepherds. Now, in a sense, you could also say that we are in a form of modern exile in our own culture and personally very often because we're trying to live our stories, and live our lives outside of God's plan and story. That's, that's where our society is at right now. Living our lives and our stories outside of God's story. Several years ago, I knew a university student, and she'd grown up uh, with an atheist upbringing in, a, in an atheist culture. And uh, during her studies, she experienced a, a, very, a rather serious crisis in her life. 
she began to contemplate the enormity of the universe. The fact that she was just one of billions of people on earth. And that earth was just one planet in a solar system, which was just one of millions of solar systems in our galaxy, which was in our galaxy, which was just one of billions of galaxies in the universe, a universe which had existed for billions of years and would go on for billions of years. And that this planet Earth would just one day dissolve and be nothing. And uh, everything would be forgotten. Her life and all of our lives would just be, become nothing and would be forgotten. And she came under this incredible sense of, um, of meaninglessness. She had no sense of significance, so she found it hard to find a sense of significance and purpose. And she got depressed and, and even suicidal until she had a rather dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ and came to faith in him and surrendered her life to him and received him. And she said the first thing that she felt or experienced after praying was an incredible sense of dignity and significance and joy. Her life story had now found its intended place as part of God's big eternal story, his story for all creation. God, I think Harsh on the video mentioned that God is a God of joy. And have you ever thought of that? We often talk about God being a God of love, a God of justice, a God of mercy. And yet he's also a God of joy. Just listen to these scriptures. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He is a God of joy. Nehemiah 8.10 The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's his joy. Psalm 16.11, the psalmist says, In your presence, God, is fullness of joy. So God is a God of joy, and as we are connected with him, we experience that joy. Joy is the natural outflow of knowing God, since God is a God of joy. And Peter puts it this way in his letter of 1 Peter. He says, Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I read this week where someone said that the whole New Testament is just saturated with this idea of joy. Joy in God's presence. Joy because of his salvation. I remember uh, I became a Christian at the age of 14. I grew up in the church. My parents became Christians when I was about three years old and then went to church ever since then. And, uh, but uh, when I was 14, I, I prayed with the pastor of my church and he led me to Christ. But I remember before that, I had kind of believed before that for a long time. But I had just kept putting it off and putting it off because I just thought church was just so boring and that to be a Christian would be so, so boring. And I put it off as long as I could, and, but then I, I realized I needed to make that decision at some point, and I kind of appreciated that my pastor took me aside and, and asked me. But uh, what surprised me was that after I prayed and received Christ into my life, I didn't feel anything right away. 
But over the next two or three days, this sense of, of peace and quiet joy just started bubbling up from within me. I'd like to talk about the difference between happiness and joy. And so this is a definition of happiness that I found uh, recently. It says, happiness is a positive emotional feeling or sense of well-being that derives primarily from external favorable circumstances. So when things are going well, we have that sense of happiness. If we get a new job, then we're happy. If we get a good mark on an essay or an exam, we're happy. If we get a nice big tax refund, we're happy. But that kind of happiness is dependent on circumstances. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, as long as we're not kind of seeking happiness in the wrong places. But joy is something different. The concept of joy in the Bible. Joy is the deep, soul-level sense of happiness and well-being and gladness and delight that is rooted in God's presence, his faithfulness, and his goodness. And we experience these by faith. It's not dependent on circumstances. That joy can even be experienced in the midst of great difficulty and suffering. The letter of Philippians in the New Testament is known as the, as the letter of joy because Paul talks about joy and rejoicing so often in that letter. And yet, Paul wrote that letter while he was in a Roman prison, suffering for his faith. So his joy was obviously not dependent on his circumstances. And I experienced this in a way about um, 10 years ago. Some of you know that my first wife passed away from cancer about 10 years ago. and That was a very difficult time for myself and my, and my family. And, uh, and as I was going through that, that grieving process, and there was also other difficulties uh, that we were experiencing at the time, and it was rather an intense time. I don't want to kind of minimize that. Uh, or over-spiritualize it. But I did, as I leaned into God during that time and went through the grieving process, I was surprised at times to, to see, to feel this peace and this joy bubbling up. Of course, I, I had joy in knowing that my wife was in heaven with Jesus too. But we can have that joy even in difficult times. So we have this joy from knowing Jesus as our Savior, from that intimate connection with God. Joy grows, though. It's meant to grow and continue in our lives. Joy grows naturally from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And so it grows uh, in our lives. And we are meant to keep choosing joy, to keep choosing Jesus. We can't produce joy directly. It's not like we can say, okay, God, I just want some joy right now, please. Um, but we can choose the things that produce joy, that lead to joy, that release of joy in our lives, and allow joy to grow by the Spirit. And we can also avoid things that can rob us of our joy. So the Christian author Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He says this in his book, uh, Here and Now. Joy is essential to the spiritual life. Joy is not the same as happiness. We can be unhappy about many things. But joy can still be there because it comes from the knowledge of God's love for us. Joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing joy every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and we have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, 
can take that joy from us. Now, in Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia, there's an interesting statement. He, he asks a very poignant question. He says, what has happened to all your joy? He talks about how when he first met them and when they first came to faith in Jesus Christ and, and knew his forgiveness and found that purpose in him, he said, your joy was just overflowing. And it overflowed in acts of generosity and love towards each other. But he was writing them a letter because he was concerned about their spiritual state because they had that joy they had at the beginning had somehow diminished and they'd lost it. And what had happened was false teachers had come into the church and had given false notions about how we can know God. These uh, teachers were basically saying, well, Jesus is not enough. His death and resurrection is not enough to really... If he, they said, if you really want to be connected with God, if you really want to make sure you're forgiven, you need to follow the Jewish laws. You need to follow uh, the dietary laws, the laws about Sabbath and various ceremonies, and especially your men need to be circumcised as an, 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 a sign of belonging to God. And so they were adding to what Jesus had done. And Paul... If you read Galatians, it's quite interesting. He gets quite feisty in his challenging of them. He said, basically, he said, if you are relying on anything, on the law or anything to be right with God, then Christ died for nothing. It's meaningless if you're going to add to Jesus. And that's always the devil's tactic, to get us to add something to Jesus. He said, neither circumcision or uncircumcision or all these other laws outside external things mean nothing. He said the only thing that means something is a new cre being a new creation in Christ Jesus, that transforming presence of Christ in our lives. And so he said, what's happened to all your joy? Something's wrong. They had lost their center. They had lost their intimacy with Christ, and they had lost their joy. And you know, the same thing can happen to us. Because the enemy does not want us to be connected with Christ or experiencing that joy. Many things seek to replace Christ in our lives and push him to the margin of our lives. And they can happen incrementally without even knowing it. What we put our trust in, what we put our identity in, it can be something other than Christ. And Christ is to be the center. It can be something like wrong ideas about God, like as we just read about the Galatians, false teaching. I remember one teaching I had, and I'm, I grew up in a very good church, a very loving church, and I learned about Christ there. But uh, one thing I was taught, I remember this distinctly as a child, I was taught God doesn't speak to us today, not like he did 2,000 years ago. We have the Bible, and that's how God speaks, but don't expect God to speak to you individually by the Spirit. And uh, that's just not biblical. That's rubbish. God is speaking to us in many ways every day through his voice, through dreams, and, and, and by his spirit, in other ways. And I just wonder how many people lost the joy, the opportunity for the joy of hearing God's voice because of that wrong teaching. Other things can come in and, and subtly push away Christ in our lives. It can, be, it can be even patriotism. And there's nothing wrong with being patriotic and proud of our country or of our heritage. But if it becomes our major identity and displaces Christ, then it can be a form of idolatry. Same with different political ideas and loyalties. 
And it doesn't matter whether it's the left or the right or the middle. The thing is, if we start to put our trust in a political leader or a political ideology to really make a difference in the world today, and we don't put our trust in Jesus and the kingdom, then um, Christ is being displaced in our lives. We can put our, our trust and become enamored with church, certain church leaders who are very gifted or certain theologians and theological ideas. And again, the more we put our identity in those, Christ gets put to the margins of our lives. It can, be, it can be something like unforgiveness and bitterness that can creep into our lives and, and stop the flow of, of life from Christ in our lives. Jesus said, those who believe in me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water, rivers of joy. And that can be stopped um, and hindered by sin or unforgiveness in our lives. Even good things can get in the way. God may give us a ministry. He may give us a, 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 a meaningful career or a, a relationship that we're excited about. And yet, if we start focusing on that more than our connection with Christ, we can start to lose our joy. I think a, 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 a big thing in our, our life today is just busyness. We're just so busy. And uh, I know that I struggled with this one I, when I was in ministry. Uh, you can get so focused on it and working eight, ten hours a day or more. And sometimes I look back and I think, I haven't really spent much time with God the last three or four days uh, in the Word or in prayer. And there's many things that can uh, distract us from that. A.W. Tozer said this, God has not bowed to our nervous busyness and haste. The person who would know God must give time to God. So there's all kinds of things that can distract us. So in this way, we can see joy as an indicator. It's kind of like the, the light on, on the dashboard of your car that tells you when you're low on oil uh, or your battery's low, that it'll flash red. And the joy is an indicator like that to say, when we, when we sense that lack of joy, maybe we need to stand back and just spend some time with God and say, what's going on? Am I missing something? Now, I just want to say something at this point. I want to add something when I'm saying this, because as a group of people, this does not apply to. You know, statistics t tell us that uh, at, anyone, at some time in our lives, a good percentage of people will suffer from a depression at some point. And, you know, depression, one of the symptoms of is the inability to experience pleasure or joy. So if you're struggling with depression right now, this doesn't apply to you. I don't want anyone to feel condemned or discouraged by, by, by this. Um, I just encourage you to rest in God. Let him carry you. Uh, get the help you need. See a doctor. Uh, get counseling. Surround yourself with people who can support you and pray for you. Jesus, in his letter that he dictated to the church of Laodicea, it was interesting. At the beginning of Revelation, there's several, Jesus dictates several letters to several churches in current-day Turkey. And it was almost like a report card. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm happy with this. You're doing well in this area. But uh, this area you better, you, better, you better pay attention to. You need to improve on. And in, the, in the, the letter to the church of Laodicea, they had become, they were a very wealthy church, and they had become complacent. And Jesus said to them, you're neither hot nor cold. 
And at the end of that letter, he, he says something very interesting in Revelation 3.20. And it's often a verse that we share with people who are not yet Christians. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them and they with me. It's a wonderful verse. And it's a, it's a wonderful verse to use to help someone who wants to become a Christian to, 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 just to visualize opening their life up to, and inviting Christ in. But you, did you know that that verse, Jesus did not say that to non-Christians. He said it to Christians. He said it to the church of Laodicea. He's saying, open the door and let me in. Well, but what does he mean? Don't we have Christ within us if we're Christians? But he, what he's saying is, uh, you're all inside having a good time, but you've, you're, you're so busy and distracted, I'm on the outside. You've, you've pushed me to the outside, outside the wall. And he's knocking at the door, patiently and gently, but firmly asking to be let in so he can come in and dine with them and he with them. And dining, in, in, uh, having dinner with someone in uh, the Bible is a metaphor for intimacy and deep fellowship. And so Jesus was saying, you've locked me out. And that's kind of a, an interesting and uh, concerning idea that corporately or individually, even though we're Christian, we can, we can, Jesus can be on the outside in a practical way in our lives, our daily lives. And we need to let him back in. Christ is all we need. He needs to be at the center. Christ is enough. His sacrifice for our sins gives us confident access to God. His spirit within empowers us to live with him. And his kingdom, being part of his kingdom, makes, um, helps us, to, or is, is the reality of us being part of his plan, our story being part of his story. So, just want to end this, uh, this sharing with the time to respond uh, to the message this morning. Was there a time in your life that there was greater joy in, in your walk with God and in, in the presence of Jesus? And is there a, a, a lack of that now? Um, or maybe you've never really experienced that joy that comes from Jesus dwelling within. Well, Jesus... Uh, today, this Christmas season, Jesus is knocking at the door. Knocking at the door of our hearts individually and also of us as a church. And will we let him in? Will we welcome Christ this Christmas as the shepherds did 2,000 years ago? Will we let him give and renew the salvation, the joy of his salvation by his spirit? I just like everyone to uh, just close your eyes and bow your heads and just have a time of response right now. Thank you for the joy of your salvation, Lord, that you give us. And thank you that it's a gift from you. Maybe you've been listening online or here this morning and uh, you realize you've been trying to find joy and meaning and happiness outside of God. He's not part of the equation. And that you want to connect with God, the source of joy. God has chosen us to experience the joy of his salvation. But we, we need to choose our chosenness in him. We need to, to respond and say yes and open the door. 
And so if that's you, and, and maybe um, you're not sure you're a Christian yet, or you'd like to be a Christian, you'd like to take that step, I'd just like you to uh, pray this prayer after me. And if you pray it and, and mean it sincerely, God will bring you into his kingdom. Jesus will embrace you and receive you. So just pray after me. God, you are the source of all true joy. I confess I've been living my life outside your purpose and love and joy. Thank you, Jesus, for coming as a baby into the world to reveal to us the love of the Father, to die and rise again so that we can be reconnected to God. Please forgive me my sin and pride. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and make me a Christian. I surrender my life to you now and commit to you to live my life for you every day from now on. If you prayed that prayer, you can be, you can, whether you feel something right now or not, you can be assured that Christ has come in and you're, you have been forgiven and that you can have that joy again. Now I'd like to say also a prayer, leading a prayer for those of you who, who may be Christian and have known joy, but would just like more of that joy or would like to get back to a place of that joy. And you realize that you've let Christ maybe be pushed out into the margins of your life. You've been focusing on other things rather than him. Intimacy with Christ has been neglected or maybe lost and you want it back. So I just ask you now, maybe the Holy Spirit's already been speaking to you during the message, but let's just pause for a moment and let the Holy Spirit search. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to search your life and to speak to you and to see if there's anything that's uh, come in that's displaced Christ from the center of your life. And if you like, you can just pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I open the door and I let you in to be the center again. Forgive me for letting other things replace you or displace you, to push you to the margins of my life. Lord, I choose once again to make you the center. Take your place as my Savior and Lord. I renounce anything I've let take your place and just Name those things, whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to you about, just name them. I surrender to you, Christ, as Lord of my life. And I ask you to restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let's just pause for a minute and just be in his presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Renew in us the joy of salvation. Jesus says, I will never turn away anybody who comes to me. He welcomes us and he welcomes us back. Fill us with your joy, Lord. Fill this place with your joy, with your spirit.